0: Welcome to the Community of Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ, and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Um, I want to begin this morning, uh, we're going to begin and have a conversation about prayer. And I was thinking through this uh, series, we are beginning right now, we are in the second full week of the season of Lent. And if you don't know what the Lenten season is, um, Lent is the 40 days, uh, not including Sundays, prior to the Easter uh, Sunday. And traditionally, for those of us who've knocked around church for a while, we know that Lent is a time, customarily, when we think about it as a reflective time, uh, we think about it as a time when we are focusing more on the life of, and, and the ministry of Jesus. There is this natural rhythm, this natural season in the church, if you will, uh, where we do this, where there's a sense of a focus on who he is and uh, what he did and what was so extraordinary and remarkable about the life of Jesus. And when I think about this, you know, I, I think that, you know, all of us are here this morning. Uh, because uh, we have been touched uh, by that fascination and by the idea uh, of who Jesus is. And many of us are navigating how we're learning uh, around that. And one of the things I have always been attracted to uh, over the years is uh, that I find so captivating about Jesus, especially in his three-year ministry on, on earth, uh, was his prayer life. And I think it's interesting to think uh, about this. I remember uh, years ago uh, reading uh, that one of the most distinguishing characteristics of Jesus' life was how often he prayed and how often he retreated to pray. And uh, if you study the life of Jesus at all, you could be fascinated about his teachings. you're uh, mesmerized by his miracles. but one of the interesting things is almost an equidistant from all of the miracles and all of the teachings were the amount of time that he would often spend alone in prayer in conversation with his heavenly father. There almost a, seems to be as equal amount of focus on that as there is an equal amount of focus on teaching and, and, and his ministry of healing. These are the distinguishing characteristics of Jesus' life. And whenever I think about that, I'm, I'm often drawn. I don't know if you think like I do. I, I think, you know, it makes me wonder what will people say that are the characteristics of my life one day when I'm gone. And so this is kind of an interesting conversation and and one to talk about um a few years ago I had the privilege of going to uh Billy Graham's retreat center in Asheville North Carolina called the Cove. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. And uh, it was just a fascinating uh experience. I was there for another uh, opportunity, but, uh, the opportunity that Beth and I had to walk around and to learn and, and to learn from this, his, this life and, uh, just to, to learn about this great man. And I was, uh, learned there that when Billy Graham was in ministry, he preached, uh, estimated he preached to over 210 million people. Isn't that amazing? In 185 different countries. Um, those numbers did not happen whenever we went to spring forward and, and fall back. That, was, that didn't happen then. We know that. Um, he counseled every, with every president from Truman to Barack Obama. So that's 11 presidents. And um, so we had this wonderful opportunity to go and learn, uh, learn from him. And uh, we, uh, one of the things, I think I have a couple of uh, pictures. I want to show you a picture. Uh, this is a picture that's just talking a little bit about his life. And I'm standing next to one of his quotes where he says this, uh, Billy Graham says, I don't think people can live without hope. He said, what oxygen is to the lungs, hope is to the survival of the world. And uh, I think that's so true in many ways. And this is a guy that one time when he was being interviewed, uh, somebody asked him about the secret of his life. And uh, Billy Graham said, the secret of my life, he said, I think would probably be the development over time of my prayer life. And I remember this uh, reporter who was talking to him and interviewing him, he said, how often do you pray? And he, he said, right back to the reporter, he said, I'm praying right now as I'm talking to you. And so prayer had become this distinguishing characteristic of his life, and this is, I think, that fueled his great ministry. I remember one of the other places, I think I have another picture where uh, I, I am, this is the pulpit that he would preach from uh, whenever he traveled. And there, what you can't see—I I should have taken a picture of this. There was a line of people trying, wanting to just stand behind the pulpit. And I was standing next to somebody, and Beth was going to take my picture. And there was an older gentleman behind me, and he asked me what I did. I said I'm a pastor. And he kept—we uh, were talking—and finally, when I got up to, to to stand at the pulpit, and and I just put my hands on where he would rest his hands, and and this guy called out, you know, to me, said maybe that'll make you a better preacher. And there was a part of me I thought, "Have you been to a Community of Hope service? I mean, why are you saying that? You know." But I remember this experience, and so we think about these distinguishing characteristics uh, of Jesus' life. And this is what I thought, you know, as we move through the Lenten season, as we begin to move into uh, what we call a traditionally Easter tide. I thought it would be good to spend a few weeks together and talk about prayer. And, uh, last year I was really challenged by a book that, um, some of what I want to share with you, uh, this author, uh, you know, states in this book. And it's the book by Pete Grieg, uh, called, uh, and I want to show you a picture of it. I think we have it there. There it is. How to pray a simple guide for normal people. And one of the things that I was so fascinated in this book was how prayers, uh, according to Pete can be so simple. And how we can all get our minds and hearts around this, because I think so often, uh, it's easy to think about, we, we struggle with this. I think of this tension. Here's the tension. And if you're taking notes, maybe you don't write this down. The tension is this. You and I have been created, even I believe hardwired to enjoy communion and conversation with the living God. So there's something deep within us that is wired to have communion with our Creator. Uh, every now and again, I will quote the verse of Scripture where uh, Solomon is writing in the book of Ecclesiastes, and he, and he talks about how that how eternity has been wired into the human heart. and And scholars believe that really what he's referring to there is that at the moment of creation, the Bible says that God breathes into us the breath of life. And when he breathes into us the breath of life, he breathes into us a piece of himself. And so we are, you know, we are the unique part of God's creation. Every time you go back to the creative stories and you hear and you read through the creative accounts, it says, you know, after every act of creation, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he creates humankind and he says, it is very good. And we've been wired uh, in this way. And, and, and so we've been wired to have communion conversation with the living God. The Puritan Shorter Catechism says it this way, and I love this phrase, the chief end of humanity is to know God and to enjoy him forever. And and so many of us, uh, I think of it this way, we're, we're on a journey, many of us are here, and we're navigating our relationship to these truths that have been wired within us. One of the things that I just love about our church is our church is, I think, un- uniquely created, uniquely situated for people who are either navigating faith for the first time or navigating it again. And so many of us are here and we're we're working through what it means to literally have a relationship with a living God. And this is the kind of idea that I think we're really striking at. The chief end of humanity is to know God. It is to enjoy him forever. Pastor and author Elton Trueblood wrote over a century ago, at its profoundest depths of life, all people talk to God. And so there's just a deep truth around these things. Uh, George Gallup, who studies and analyzes culture says this kind of an interesting quote he says actually most people he said i believe and have come to the research bears out most people are eager to have an encounter with the living god and actually according to the numbers more americans pray than exercise go to work or even engage in romantic activity and some of us right now are going duh i knew that so (laughs) come on y'all wake up and if you talk to any executive, mechanic, college student, retiree, churchgoer, or skeptic, all of us have this spiritual sense of fascination. I think in our quietest moments, there's something within us that wants to turn to our Creator and know some of the deeper truths of life. Like why, why are we here? Why have we been created? What is the deeper meaning of all of this? Stuff. It's in there. I don't really have to preach to it. You know it. But on the other side of this tension, here's the thing. And, and I think if all of this is true, and it is, prayer for many of us uh, has confused and intimidated and bewildered us all at the same time. I, I want to confess to you even this morning whenever I talk about prayer, there's a certain measure of anxiety that I bring into this space. Because I have seasons in my life where I'm so patently not good at it. Anybody want to identify with that? And so we're all strugglers on the way. Trevor thought it would be a great idea to put a phone on the stage. This is a phone. How, how many of y'all remember this when you were growing up? How many of you remember, I can remember trying to talk to my girlfriend and we had two phones in the house, mom and dad's bedroom and in the kitchen. And it was really hard to have a conversation with your girlfriend in the kitchen when everybody was listening. And I remember the great day, my dad came home and he had bought a longer cord. And we thought, what a great technological advancement. And so a lot of us, when we think about um, talking to God, we have all these weird feelings and emotions about it. And I think some of us even think as though, you know, some people have the, the, the direct line to God and some people don't. And it's been funny that as our church has grown over the years, some of you with all grace will come to me and say, I want you to pray for me. And sometimes you'll say this because you have a direct line. And in that moment, I want to tell you how badly I feel about my direct line sometimes. And and so this is, I think, such a welcome conversation for us. And and so we've chosen um, really a conversation that Jesus has with the disciples, and we've picked as a theme verse uh, just a phrase that happens in the Gospel of Luke. And it comes out of Luke chapter 11 and, and in verse 1, and this is, this is how uh, it is recorded. Luke says it this way. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and again, he was always praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught His disciples. And when I, when I read that phrase, um, I, I, I think about what the disciples must have noticed in that moment was something unique and something really powerful. And that really what was going on in that moment, they had, they had begun to catch on to the rhythm of Jesus, if you will, and they were drawn to that rhythm. And so there was something uh, unusual, there was something natural, there was something authentic, there was something uh, that had uh, the essence of power to it, and they were drawn to it. And, and I think of that because I think of that uh, as a phrase that's probably pretty common to many of us. Have you ever noticed somebody in your life, in your own experience, that did something so well, you said to them, hey, teach me how to do that? I remember when I was first learning how to play the guitar, and I had a friend who would come over, and and he didn't really play the guitar well, but he but he had one song that he could play really really well. And you probably remember the song "Smoke on the Water," right? And anybody that's learning how to play guitar goes, eh, 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 right? And I can remember I can remember um, him me saying to him, "Oh, teach me how to do that." And when he taught me how to do that, that's the only song I played for months till my dad said, for the love of all things holy, stop playing that song. I still remember that. I can remember a time with, when, when my, I would travel with my father in the summer and my dad, uh, who was, uh, worked for Nabisco and, and, and for a, a time in his career, he was the one who was in charge of the relationship between Nabisco and Publix. And so my dad actually uh, was good friends with George Jenkins, who was the founder uh, of public supermarkets. And every time uh, George Jenkins would open a new public supermarket, he would invite my dad and a few other people to be with him and they would bag groceries for a day. This is, this is my memory. I have a memory of that. I'm experience of that. And, and I can remember um, just watching how my dad would engage with people. And I, I think now in the ministry as a pastor, I think some of the way that, you know, I have learned how to befriend and, and, and care for people, I learned from, from my father watching him do it. And I can remember asking my dad, dad, how do you remember wherever you go? You seem to remember names and you seem to remember scenarios and situations. I remember having a conversation uh, with my father around that. So it's not, it's not uncustomary really, uh, for us to, to think that the disciples were noticing something about Jesus and his relationship with God and his heavenly Father. And and they said one day, I think in a moment of, of blistering honesty, Lord, would you teach us to pray like that? And then Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer. Now, here's what I think. Many of us know the Lord's Prayer. In fact, why don't we want to say it together? and the glory forever. Amen. And so uh, that prayer comes as a response to the disciples' request. And scholars have looked at that prayer for years and have, uh, have helped us understand all of the nuances of what Jesus was inviting the disciples, and now you and me, to know as a result of that prayer. And in many ways, what I want you to know this morning is I don't don't really think that Jesus was teaching that prayer necessarily that you and I would memorize the prayer, but that we would see within the prayer what Jesus is saying about his relationship with his heavenly Father. And so that's what makes, I think, this conversation. um, So important. And so this morning, I I thought, I I told the team, I said, you know, really, before we we dive headlong into learning about prayer, and I think a very powerful way, I'm really pumped about what we're going to be doing in the next uh, few weeks. I thought this morning, though, it would be good for us maybe to spend just a few moments together to maybe coach out of the room Some common myths when it comes to prayer. And I want to give you four. And uh, they're going to move, I think, from kind of the simple to a little bit more um, of the challenging kind. And so if you're taking notes, maybe if it matters to you, this is would be important to, to remember. Here, here's the first myth. I think a lot of us feel this way that only actually a few people pray. Uh, we live in a culture right now that that is manifesting a lot of distance uh, from spirituality, in a way. And what I find is interesting is that um, uh, in, uh, uh, on the counterintuitive side, the culture may look like it's stepping back from faith, but what I meant to say is actually we are probably more spiritual now than ever. And so there's a unique tension uh, in our culture. Uh, when I think about Palm Beach County, you've heard me say this before, a million, four, uh, 100,000 people, only one in 11 whatever, identify church home. It doesn't seem to be a very uh, religious place anymore. There's lots of doubt out there. There's lots of manifestation of doubt. But here is the truth. Honestly, the truth is everybody prays, even the skeptic prays. One author puts it this way prayer is the native language of the soul. From archaeology to sociology to psychology, to be human in many ways uh, is to pray. Uh, this book uh, that I'm going to commend to you by Pete Grieg says this. Uh, he writes in, in, in the beginning of the book, he says, On on Mount Athos, he said, 2,000 meters above the Aegean Sea, bearded Orthodox monks are praying, as they've done for 1,800 years. About 11 miles north of Lagos, he said, more than a million Nigerian Christians are gathering for a monthly prayer meeting at the vast campus of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. On the banks of the River Ganges, near Varanasi, Hindu pilgrims are plunging into the sacred waters, seeking cleansing and hope. Somewhere in Manhattan, right as I write this, Pete says, a group of addicts on a 12-step program are seeking through prayer and meditation to improve their conscious contact with God. High in the Himalayas, bells are chiming and streams of colored prayer flags are dancing against sapphire skies. Deep in the forests of giant redwood and Douglas fir in California's Lost Coast, Cistercian nuns are keeping vigil beside the Matole River where salmon and steelheads swim. One person in every four Praise the Lord's Prayer every day and, uh, and on Easter alone. One person in every six bows toward Mecca up to five times a day. Hasidic Jews stand at Jerusalem's wailing wall dressed in black and rocking to and fro like aging goths in a silent disco. And in front of them between the giant stones of Herod's temple, he says, thousands of handwritten prayers are wedged like badly rolled cigarettes between the bricks. He said, to be honest, it's worth pausing to consider and to acknowledge the unending chorus of human longing. The canticle of sighs and cries and chiming bells, mutterings in maternity wards, celestial oratorios, and scribbled graffiti. All people pray. Pray. And my sense is this morning that as you came into this place, you have a prayer on your heart. You have something that brought you into this place where you're asking God to touch your life, offer to you as healing and hope. You're praying for the need of a friend. And so all of us live in the tension of these moments, but we're confused by them. And part of what I wanted to say today is just to kind of draw out the complexity of this. I think it was Lily Tomlin who said this, why is it that when we talk to God, we call it prayer, and when God talks to us, we call it mental illness? (laughs) Here's another myth, if you're taking notes. Myth number two, only a few people actually know how to pray. And the truth of this actually is simply this. We all can learn. How many of you would say this morning, I, I need to learn how to pray? It, that, that's not like a once and done statement, is it? I mean, I, I, I've i been saying that my whole life. I became a follower of Jesus when I was 16. And I I would be honest with you that my whole life, my whole life as a follower of Jesus, I've often said that. You know, Lord, will you again teach me how to pray? It's true. It's a journey that uh, develops and never ends. Jesus is always drawing us into a deeper relationship with his self. All of us can learn. I think it was Brother Lawrence who said this for many years. He said, I was bothered by the fact that I was a failure often at prayer, and then one day I realized I would always be a failure at prayer. And after that moment of self-revelation, I've gotten along with God much better ever since. (laughs) It's just true. Let me give you myth number three. Here's myth number three. Prayer always works if you do it right. See how I'm going up in challenge? (laughs) Prayer always works if you do it right. Uh, I talk to people who uh, tell us this and suggest this to us. I I can remember early in my Christian experience as a follower of Jesus, as a young man uh, being connected with a group of Christians who, who manifested in some ways a boldness in their prayers that I was so attracted to but almost, uh, almost in a way is that they were pressuring God uh, in a way that seemed unhealthy and unnatural and unbiblical. And, and, and I, I still remember the tension. All of these things have such tension, um, almost as though there's some magic formula. And if we would learn the magic formula, that's all we need to know. And I, I have learned, in fact, over the years, I was thinking this past week, um, this is really more what I've learned in my life, and I want to c- commend it to you, and I hope it's helpful. Um, I have learned in my own life that if I pray and the request is wrong, here's what I've learned God says. God says no. How many of you ever learned that? Right? So if I make a request and the request is wrong, uh, I have learned in my own life that God says no. Uh, I have learned this too, that if the timing is not right, when I pray, God sometimes will say, slow. Have you, have you learned that yet? If, there, if the timing's not right, it seems as though he's saying slow. Here's another thing I've, I've learned. If I'm wrong in my request, I have learned that sometimes God will say, grow. And the idea is that I need to grow. And I have also learned that uh in, in in moments that if all of this is right okay if the request is right the timing's right I, i'm asking the right way god says go like you know green light and then here's the biggest thing i've learned about all of this is i hope that's helpful to you because here's the, the the biggest thing i've learned and all of this works sometimes Right? Amen? Right? And so this is why it's so important that I think um, we pray. Here's here's what I want to tell you that I think is a bit of a challenge for me. I'm trying to wrap my own mind and heart around it. Uh, The myth, myth number three, is that prayer always works if you do it right. Here's what I've actually learned. I've learned that Jesus lived with unanswered prayer. That's what I've learned. And so that's a challenge. And when you study the life of Jesus, you notice it showing up in some places. One time he went to Nazareth, which was his hometown. And the Bible tells us very clearly that he could not do, it says it this way, he could not do many miracles there for their lack of faith. So there was some relationship between what Jesus was bringing into this space and some manifestation or connection in some measure with the manifestation of their faith in a way that caused even Jesus, our Lord, to struggle uh, with unanswered prayer. Uh, I know that in John chapter 17, Jesus offers what is truly, scholars believe, the Lord's prayer. In John 17, in the Lord's prayer, he says this, I pray that you, the disciples, may all be one, that you would be unified together, that his church would be unified. And and let me just ask you the question, do we see a unified church today? We don't. And so that is an unanswered prayer that Jesus lives in the tension of. And and I even think about this, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm so thankful that the Heavenly Father, and we... worship a Trinitarian God that in, the heaven, uh, that in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me. And I don't know about you, I'm so glad that prayer was not answered. And he said, but not my will, your will be done. And so he went to the cross. So the reality is, is that Jesus lived with unanswered prayer. Paul said it this way. He said, um, he said, now I see in part and I know in part, but a day's coming when I will both see and know completely. And so we live in the tension, in the thin space between heaven and earth. And so that's a, that's a myth. I want to give you one more myth that I think is really a, a good one. And here's the myth. God does whatever he wants, whether we pray or not. And and here's what I've learned in my own life as a reality, and the truth of this actually is that I've learned that prayer does change things. And I can stand before you as a pastor this morning and say that, that I have had the experience where I've prayed for things that have come to pass, where I've prayed for people where they've been touched, and God has shown up in powerful, sometimes even miraculous ways. But what I would tell you And this is the tension. It doesn't happen every time. And so these are the things that I want us to talk about and want us to think about as we move through this series. I want to offer to you, before we close, just I want to offer to you um, two scriptures. One comes, both of them come from Jesus' uh, brother, James. And James says this in John chapter 4, Two, he says, you don't have because you don't ask God. So there's the prayer. And then a little bit later on, he says this. He he says in James chapter 5.16, the whole verse says this, Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the prayer of righteous person is powerful and effective. There it is. So we're going to learn about prayer over these next few weeks. And then, and then we're going to do a cool thing. Uh, on Holy Week, uh, we are going to experience as a church for the first time ever. We are going to pray for 24 hours for a week leading to Easter. And we're going to break down Holy Week, uh, into these spots. And on all of our campuses, we're going to enter into a church as a, in a season of prayer and bathe the whole Holy Week experience in prayer, leading us to Easter. I'm really, really pumped about this. So we're going to do some learning, and then we're going to do some practical application of that. Sound good? So before we um, have a hazmat communion service, Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us, <laughs> and then I'm gonna. Uh, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna invite you to pray exactly uh, what the disciples asked. And so, oftentimes, at Community of Hope, this is what we'll do: we'll say, "Let's take a moment. and We'll put our hands on our lap and have our palms in an upturned position, just to sort of com- communicate that we're open and ready to receive from the Lord." And I want you, in a moment of silence, to just simply say what the disciples said when they saw Jesus that day. And I want you to say, Lord, teach me to pray. Can we pray together? Lord, here we are as your people, and uh, God, we know that the disciples struggled as we struggled. And God, there is such a mystery to this moment, and yet at the same time, Lord, we know that this is such an important part of our Christian experience. And Lord, what the disciples saw was a closeness, Jesus, that you had with your Heavenly Father in a way that drew them in, and they longed for that. And so, Lord, we would just, out of a sense of common need this morning, say, We long for this too. And so now in a moment of silence and reverence, would you ask the Lord to teach you how to pray? Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers and that you answer our prayers. In Jesus' name. You know, Jesus, I believe with all my heart that really what you're wanting us to learn in this time is how thin the space is actually between heaven and earth. And God, when we think about your life, and we think about your life on earth, Jesus, how you stepped into this space and you opened to us understandings and deep truths God, the world has never been the same since. And we we just call out on that, Lord, for our own lives, for the lives of people that we know and love, for circumstances in our world right now, God, that seem overwhelming and filled with fear and anxiety. And you are coming and you are offering the words of life to us. Use this space and this time and these weekends together to teach us how to pray, to teach us how to trust, to teach us how to believe. This we pray in Jesus' name and everyone said amen. Praise God. Go in his grace and we'll see you next weekend.